welcome everybody to the Medici podcast. This is episode 24 and in today's panel we have Mitch, the CEO of Metaverse Headquarters. It is a tokenized Web3 community with an NFT focus behind it. So I'm excited to talk about NFTs in the whole ecosphere for a whole hour. I hope you guys are as well. Let's jump straight in. Hey guys, and we're live here with Mitch. Welcome. I'm glad to have you here on the panel today. Hello, hello. Yeah, glad to be here, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. So guys, as you know, I introduced him uh, prior to this, the CEO of Metaverse HQ. Uh, we're going to have a chat about NFTs, everything ongoing in the ecosphere, and uh, let's get it started. So before jumping in, how did you get into the crypto space? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, crypto space, I got in like, I want to say around 2018, like back in college, 2012, 2013, I was, you know, um, I, I was a computer engineer by trade, so I, I knew what cryptocurrency uh, was, and I was aware of it. And um, my cousins, uh, I had a cousin that was like farming it, I uh, mining it. You know, I set up a Raspberry Pi to mine Bitcoin myself, and so um, yeah, there were many times I returned back to crypto and that technology uh, back in 2018. I had a startup focused on providing uh, media and marketing for companies uh, focused on raising their ICOs and uh, before crypto winter. And um, that was when I first saw a crypto kitty, the first NFT I've ever sale I've ever witnessed experience. Uh, I saw a crypto kitty get sold for like $114,000 live uh, at the Ethereum convention here in Brooklyn, uh, hosted by Consensus, uh, Joe Lubin. And I thought to myself, that is the most absurd fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't understand at all. That makes no sense. How could you pay for a picture? All that shit, right? So um, I went through that uh, 2018, and I said, that's the dumbest thing ever. And then NBA Top Shot uh, comes and rolls around around like 20, I want to say like 2020, uh, like late 2020. And it was fucking great, right? Dapper Labs, same company that made uh crypto kitties that after they broke the ethereum blockchain uh they went to create their own ecosystem flow and their one of their first uh products nba top shot really helped on ramp a lot of users into nfts a lot of builders investors traders the whole fucking space right so you gotta give it to dapper labs um they know exactly how to build uh very easy on ramps into web3 um and that's essentially where my journey, I feel like, really begins. Uh, because after Top Shot, after Zed Run, after, you know, um, the Bored Apes, Gutter Cat Gang, Cool Cats, and then eventually joining Metaverse HQ sometime around 2022, or sorry, 2021, uh, March, February, I was hooked. NFTs were like, wow, um, such incredible technology. Uh, the idea of being able to uh, sell my skins in game because uh, I'm a gamer and I play a lot of League of Legends. I play a lot of, you know, Call of Duty, whatever the case might be. Uh, being able to actually have those in-game assets as NFTs, being able to use them as NFTs, being able to trade and and engage with them, um, leveraging this technology, uh, obviously not right now, but that that was the allure to me. And that's what brought me into the space. I found Metaverse HQ, um, Jake and Bake, who was uh, one of the founders, uh, if not the leading founder of Metaverse HQ, he was uh, making 
posts on Twitter being very high value. Uh, it was really good information on NBA Top Shot, what the latest updates, what the latest news was. And as someone that was really following NBA Top Shot, I I really was uh, an admirer of his work. And he was opening Metaverse HQ. Uh, you had to fill out an application. Funny enough, that's how we're doing it for our 2023 Mint. And, uh, and then I was accepted into MDHQ. And then a couple of months later, uh, they launched a token, 1500 NFTs went out the door over a year and a half ago at 0.1 Ethereum. And, you know, today we have, uh, I, we start as the most prolific NFT investors, traders. We have over, uh, you know, a billion dollars in, in NFT volume traded. Uh, that's some alpha for you. Uh, we've corroborated some of those numbers from, um, highly like prestigious, uh, blockchain sleuths. Um, we, we didn't stop there. We went ahead to partner and help accelerate and activate the best uh, Web3 NFT collections, World of Women, Cool Cats, you name it, um, the best gaming projects, Killer Guardians, what have you, and some of the best tools in the space, uh, marketplaces in the space, NFT nerds, uh, Looks Rare, Nansen, and now Blur, which was our latest acceleration, the number one NFT aggregator and contender for leading marketplace. And, um, and yeah, uh, we do a lot, but I think at, it's at our very core, we incubate the best talent in Web3 and we accelerate the best Web3 products. And that's where I am today. I'm the CEO of Metaverse HQ and I'm truly humbled every single day to, um, to cook for our members, to cook for HQ. Oh, that's amazing. I think what you just said is, is there's a lot to take in and a lot to kind of comment on. So I think to start off with so you're pretty much an nft og and uh, a gamer as well so i would say like don't you think csgo also kind of paved the way of this kind of uh, movement where you know you could trade your uh, skins and how uh, that whole kind of mechanism worked do you think a lot of people from csgo also admire this kind of uh, space or do you see them often coming through your community yeah i in our community we have a lot of gamers a lot of us are are like gaming native, um, not professional though. Uh, we do have some professional like esports players, but I think what's happening, right? If you look at the culture of gaming, uh, they hate NFTs, right? For the most part, right? That audience does not necessarily want NFTs uh, incorporated in the games. However, uh, I think it's because they don't necessarily understand what's happening. Um, to integrate NFT technology into a current Web2 game, um, like full force, not going to happen, not going to work. You can't, it's going to be very difficult to migrate aspects of CSGO, all aspects onto the blockchain. It doesn't even make sense to do that, right? But where do you start? Well, you might start with the skins. You might start with um, tradable in-game assets, uh, a marketplace uh, for gamers to, uh, you know, buy, sell, trade, engage with each other um, that way with their collectibles that, um, you know, that they might not want to keep, or they might uh, be seeking more rare collectibles, whatever the case might be. Um, creating that abstraction layer, I think, is really important because if gamers don't know that they're, in, you know, uh, what they're uh, sort of trading and and uh, the technology, the underlying technology, if they don't know that it is an NFT or uh, this is NFT technology and these assets are on a blockchain, then um, you know they'll be predisposed to it. And I think that abstraction layer, when we saw with NBA Top Shot, 
um, calling NFTs moments and, you know, Reddit with their Reddit avatars, right? Uh, uh, digital collectibles, these abstraction layers help consumers, uh, especially gamers, um, you know, sort of onboard into Web3. And a lot of us in HQ are very, uh, I, I guess I want to say predisposed to gaming. Um, does that mean that we're bullish on games being developed in Web3? Uh, no, right? Uh, we, we find very few use cases uh, like Big Time Gaming, Ember Sword, Sandbox, Decentraland, where a lot of these games, these metaverses, um, are not fun. They're not engaging. They don't, they don't, uh, you know, uh, Axie Infinity, they don't win the actual gaming user base. And so, you know, uh, why should they win a Web 3 user base as well? Right. I mean, you touch upon also like the resilience of gamers wanting to be the NFT space. Why do you think this resilience occurs within them? Because I've noticed this kind of pattern with also other uh, members of society, should I say, or older generations who are also very resilient on the blockchain implementation in general, be it for gaming NFTs, be it also for, let's say, travel or web or like experience in the world where that could be implemented. Why do you think this resilience come from? Um, well, I think their resilience comes from a lack of understanding. I don't blame them. Mainstream media and really anyone outside of Web3, like the things said about crypto get tied into Web3 yeah. and Web3 itself has a lot of scams in it uh, as yeah. well. Um, but that's like, it's the wild, wild west, right? That's the true nature of decentralization. There's going to be a lot of fucked up shit that happens uh, in front of everybody, like what we're seeing now with SBF and FTX. Yeah. And, um, you know, and guess what? Like, it's very easy to point fingers, right? So it's very easy to point to NFTs and say, oh, there's so many scams and so many rugs. In fact, I'd argue, yeah, you're right. 95% to 99% of all NFTs are rugs, are scams, are not good investments, Right. Uh, the idea with our communities that we're able to find and identify the 1% that are good investments. And so I don't blame gamers. I don't blame average consumers for being incredibly skeptical of crypto and NFTs. In fact, if I were in their shoes, I'd probably uh, be the same, uh, just like how I was in 2018 with the crypto kitty. Mm-hmm. I think it takes um, a technology or or a use case, a consumer product like an NBA top shot, like a Reddit, that uh, is simply the on-ramp. Um, two NFTs in a way that is both familiar uh, and new at the same time um, and, and, you know, doesn't feel like a rug, doesn't feel like a scam is, in fact, you know, something that you, you enjoy engaging with and, and you do so quite frequently. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with what you say here. Yeah. So for the Metaverse HQ, who are you guys looking to onboard right now for your 23 Mint? What kind of members of community are you looking for? Who Who make up the alpha elite of this community so i'll tell you who we're not looking for right i'll tell you uh i think when we started metaverse hq a lot of us were novices right we were just experiencing nfts for the first time and we knew doing it together would be advantageous we can learn together and innovate together and uh, you know, 1,300 unique members within a Discord server gated with an NFT was a novel concept. I will say now you have every community doing a Discord gated uh, server, whatever the case, NFT gated server. By the time it was novel and uh, a lot of us grew into the most prolific 
traders and builders in the space. And a lot, and you know, what happens when you've like made your stack, you know, you, you bankrolled uh, a five ETH investment into a thousand ETH, or you, you know, learned enough to go and launch the next goblin town or world of women um, or like the next fair.xyz. And now you're raised, you're, you have like your series a and you're raising an insane amount of money. Like you're not in metaverse HQ, right? The idea is that you go to Harvard, you go learn there for four years, and then you build the network, you build the resources, um, the knowledge, and then you equip yourselves to go and, you know, make a difference in the world. That's what metaverse HQ is. We are the Ivy league of web three. We're incubating some of the best talent, and arguably, you know, the people that have already made their bankroll, the founders, the builders that have already gone, uh, come into Metaverse HQ, learn what they've learned, become part of our alumni. They'll always be part of us um, and they'll always be connected, bring opportunity, deal flow, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, they're not engaging in Metaverse HQ. They're not in our voice chat. They're not hanging out anymore because they have their own communities of thousands that they serve. Uh, they have their own like teams of like 20 to 50 and they just don't have time. But back in the OG days, when we were all just in voice chat, in Hangout, um, on our Discord server, like that was and that was our metaverse. And for the most case, like 80% of our user base right now is like really engaged and active. And it, metaverse issue still is our is our uh, metaverse. But we've made this mint and we've made our structure for metaverse HQ um, in the format of, again, an Ivy League of Web3, a Harvard of Web3, where if you're brand new to NFTs, you want to learn more, or you've you've been a part of the NFT space for quite some time, maybe like a couple months, maybe a year, and you haven't found the right group, uh, you haven't found the right organization, uh, maybe you're a builder, a developer, maybe you're an artist or trader, whatever the case might be, uh, we want to cater to you. Because if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you want to uh, remain engaged in Web3 and engage even more so, like who better than us? And those are the types of individuals that we actually want is new blood, fresh blood, like real new infusion of talent uh, that would find value in the current engaged uh, individuals that we have in Web3, as well as, you know, the founders and builders that, that are part of our alumni network. Those are the individuals we're looking for. Okay, very clear. And I think because those individuals are very malleable in this space and they can soak up a lot of data and a lot of new knowledge that can essentially become then the new founders of whatever it may be. So I see your point in there quite quite clear. Um, talking about NFTs, so we could say we've entered some sort of their market. Well, with the BTC Plum and the whole FTX fiasco, how do you see mm -hmm. NFTs progressing in the coming year to start with? Well, there are still, there's the micro, there's the day in, day out NFT trading and investing. And, um, you know, last weekend we had a project mint out 10K supply 0.01 Ethereum, and now it's like at 0.03. And if you minted 40 or 100 or 120 of them, well, guess what? You just made like over an ETH, you just made over two ETH, whatever the case might be, right? So there's still really good plays to be made. Our blocks today, right? We had a member mint an art block for 1.2 ethereum and then he flipped it for 5 ETH, right so there's still very much plays to be made don't kid yourself um and don't get lazy if you're seeing if you're too much you're spending too much time on twitter uh with all the fud and it's yeah. removing you from the actual market and being a participant and being really engaged um don't be fooled there are plays to be made and anytime anyone says it's a bear market that just means they're not making money um 
And that just means they're not paying attention. And, um, but we really are in a downturn market, right? Like overall, NFT volume has decreased significantly. Yeah, I and think we're in the lowest points, I think, since months prior. Exactly. NFT volume has decreased significantly. So does that mean that there's some money to be made? Uh, you know, maybe I'd argue, maybe there's just less people engaged in Web3 right now, and that's where all the liquidity went. So who we're playing against, who we're up against, Again, there's still a lot of um, profitable minutes, still a lot of a lot of profitable projects. You just have to sort of be paying attention, and um, and that's how I see the micro. As far as the macro is concerned, I mean, what SBF and FTX, it's still unraveling, right? We don't know yeah. the the real long term effects of this contagion. We just know that, that it is one. Yeah. And um, to be honest, you know, the crypto DeFi people, and and this is I, I harp on this a lot, but um, you know your trusted leaders, your trusted, like, like always be skeptical, right? 99% of NFTs in my head are rugs, scams, and um, they aren't good investments. And like, we should look at people uh, through the same lens. And if you see a figure like the Doquan or SBF, and you think, oh, they're too good to be true, most likely they're not. If you see like, if you're on a platform like Gemini, if you're on a platform like BlockFi, and the earning rates are insane it's because they are insane actually um you know they, they actually are and and your gut was right so these are all incredibly risky investments we already live in the volatile wild wild west um the crypto DeFi stuff like i don't know this is a black swan event that just happened right so yeah. i really don't know macro how this plays out but if we can all agree that nfts um web3 technology uh, that the power of uh, incorporating a blockchain into certain use cases, if there will still be value there, then we as traders, builders, creators, artists, investors will still have a place in this ecosystem. We'll still have a place to be a value. And it's up to you to, you know, to figure out where that value is. Right. So if you're saying, Hey, I'll come back when it's not a bear, um, I'd argue when you come back and it's a bull, guess who's going to be better than you? Us. Because guess what we were doing when you were out during the bear market? We were fucking staying sharp, vigilant, and and um, learning, constantly engaged. Whereas, uh, guess what you did? You did fucking nothing. And um, you're going to pay for it. Don't you think it's some sort of a battle between old think and new think in terms of that? And the old think, you know, in 2017, 2018, when I, for example, also entered the market, yeah, those coins and they would do well and they would pump and then in the bear market they would just die out whereas nft kind of created this new asset class where people well first and foremost it's harder to get into and i think that a lot of people on twitter maybe are not familiar with how this space is or they're not really accustomed to it so they kind of let it go and just spread the fud about it but in terms because not having those people in the ecosphere it's kind of a more stable asset class in a way which can be seen differently than comparison to the shit coins that have been traded in the previous cycles. That's how I would see it. I think there is a, the old guard, and the new, but I think in web three, right. The old guard, new guard, it's the, the age, the difference in age is not very high. Um, a lot of us are a little bit on the, well, I want to say like more old mature front, like over 25 but there are like, you know, we had um, we had this member, we had this series of members that were like 16, 17 years old. Uh, Vopa, he went on to build, um, you know, an alpha community called Underground, which is like incredible. Uh, the really 
happy for their success. But he started Metaverse HQ, and he was one of the most prolific NFT traders ever. He knew, he knew all the alpha. Like he knew to purchase Eden token, stake Eden token, and it would give you priority over other uh, people that were trying to mint the same project you were minting. Right? He gave you exclusive access to a to a suite of miners that were ready at your disposal. And um, and then that was more um, prolifically uh, sort of abused by 999, who then created the OpenDAO. Um, and so my point being, there are there is a new guard and an old guard. And what I'm looking for specifically, what we need at MVHQ is that balance. We need the, the new guard to keep everyone that's been in the space on their toes. And who's more predisposed to avatar representation uh, living in the metaverse than you know um the new guard who are incredibly predisposed to the internet to smartphone technology um and actually like really will be very easy to onboard right and then to touch upon the more mature or like less mature audience like i think last year we've seen a huge uh difference between ETH ecosystem and the solana ecosystem where Towards the end, approximately December, November, the Solana ecosystem was deemed more immature and that there were more like rugs. Do you also see that because it was a lower onboarding cost or why do you think this change or this difference appeared between the two chains, even though there were a lot of flippers on both ecosystems? I think Solana, I mean, it's hard to say flippers, right? Like when we're in, when we're talking like the stock market, we call flippers day traders, right? But they're still trading. Um, flippers get a bad rep. The idea is that you make a good investment. If you don't think that investment's going to be good, then you dump, right? Then you exit your position. Um, are you minting just to just a flip? Maybe, right? But I'd argue, you know, these individuals are have a place in the market, right? You're minting because. Um, you were attentive and the person that really wanted the mint was sleeping. And so they're paying for it. Um, and that's really what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a service industry at the end of the day. I, I, it's, it's supply and demand. So um, I think when it comes to Solana Ethereum, yeah, you had, you had investors, you had traders on both chains. Solana was a little bit challenging because uh, NFTs on Solana was simply not a thing. I mean, they just weren't right. Uh, NFTs on Ethereum were a thing. And so migrating, Translating some of like the the processes of minting an NFT on Solana were very difficult. You had to get a new wallet. You had to buy Solana. You had to learn the whole ecosystem. That's a different one. Uh, you had you know, like you don't have your marketplaces that you usually lean on to sell NFTs or trade or buy. So you don't you don't have your tools. Um, so you don't really know like you're kind of flying in blind. You don't know how to find mints. Um, and there's this meta of like you know just garnering a twitter follower creating a discord and just staying up to date with the project um on ethereum it was just much different there was a lot more builders um in the nft ecosystem than solana i think magic eden uh created nft solana nfts i think they streamlined it because um before magic eden yeah solana nfts were known as rugs by ethereum traders people in solana were just like you know it was still very early but then you had this authority come in and, and help streamline similar to what OpenSea did with Ethereum and say, hey, not only will we serve as a marketplace, um, we will also you know, serve as a launchpad and we will be the authoritative stamp for uh, NFT collections on Solana. 
And that made it very easy for creators to come together and, um, you know, launch projects successfully and, uh, and in turn help consumers, uh, you know, find a reliable source for mints um, where they knew they weren't going to get rugged or a high probability that they weren't because Magic Eden was doing the due diligence for them uh, when they were launching on their pad. So that's the way that I see it. Um, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of, there were marketplaces that came before Magic Eden and yada, yada, yada. But like, as you could see, the two ecosystems are quite different. OpenSea being Ethereum NFT native and Magic Eden being Solana NFT native, they have yet to really establish a crossover of audiences, even though both marketplaces serve uh, for NFTs on you know each other's blockchains, um, Ethereum and Solana respectively. And why do you think that is? Well, <clears throat> I'd argue that those ecosystems are very different. They have uh, much different traders. And the Venn diagram, the overlap of those traders is very, very um, minuscule compared to you know, what someone might think like, oh, they're just NFTs. Anyone can trade NFTs anywhere. Like, yeah, that's true. But right now where we are with NFTs, there is such uh, uh, compartmentalization uh, across uh, consumers um, uh, per a different blockchain, like minting on Tezos, minting on Flow, marketplace, which marketplaces to go to minting on ETH, minting on Solana, those are also disparate. And so those audiences inherently, I believe, are disparate. And we will eventually see crossover. But for now, again, um, it, it's just been very tricky. But to your point, Solana NFTs, with the authority of Magic Eden, came um, you know a sort of streamlined uh, way for consumers to reliably make purchases on ETH, on Solana. Ethereum just happens to be easier to launch a project. There's a lot more builders, tools, um, you know, no no code necessary um, launching yeah. platforms. Uh, and uh, it, there's just a lot more happening on the Ethereum ecosystem when it comes to NFTs. I think as well in Solana ecosystem, I think the main reason it was also kind of favored by some traders is the gas costs and the gas fees for minting on the ETH uh, ecosystem. They were outrageous for some. And I think Solana kind of fixed that short term to create this kind of opportunity. Before Magic Eden, we had Solana art where we had the DGen apes, which kind of marked the blue chip for Solana. Yep. And then after that, I do believe with Soul Eyes and Magic Eden, it kind of saturated the space with more ruggier type of um, mints like we see on ETH, but I kind of saturated the space in a more, I'd say, amateuristic manner compared to how where in Ethereum, if the gas fees you know were high and you were ready to pay that, you're actually entering some form of project where you're actually looking to participate and be more serious about than on Solana. Oh yeah, I I love the fact that you can pay more and you secure a mint. Um, I hated that on Solana and on Polygon, where yeah they're gasless, but guess what? Like, you know that is advantageous for people that. For traders that are, you know, low stack and, you know, they're just, they're just trying to mint anything. Yeah. Whereas like if you're a real buyer, right, you're, you really have volume and you want to mint, you can't really secure it uh, on Solana if it's first come for serve on Polygon, if it's first come for serve, same thing with Tezos. Whereas on ETH, I know if I want in on this mint, I'm going to have to up my gas and I'm going to have to pay for it, but I'm ready to pay for it because mm -hmm. it's worth it. What's your take on, for example, the whitelist grinding right now that a lot of projects are just implementing this kind of mechanism where 
they're trying to make the mint cheaper, but you got to grind for the whitelist and you have the marketplace for whitelists now. What's what's your whole take on that? Well, I came from I came from like uh the timeline of NFTs where there weren't whitelist mints, where it was first come, first serve. Hey everyone, our launch is tomorrow at 3 p.m. You know, uh Eastern. Uh good luck. 10k supply, 0.04 per transact, uh, per mint, five per transaction, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. You just have to be there. Um the whitelist meta is appropriate. I think it was all, almost necessary um and bound to happen. Uh and 999 really accelerated the process. He's also big on Solana too. He was a Metaverse HQ member. He really solidified the process when he had bought $25 million worth of Eden token. Uh, it's a cryptocurrency uh, of the Eden network, which was uh, very prolific on uh, when ETH was proof of work. And what you would do with that token is you would stake that token and it would provide you exclusive access to uh, Eden miners uh, on the Ethereum blockchain. So if you wanted, if there's a, a really... Um, if there's going to be a crazy gas war, right? Let's just say a hundred thousand. Um, there's a hundred thousand demand for a 10k supply mint. You know, you could stake this Eden, and you would actually get expedited access to the to the chain. And what um, 999 did this was 2021 of September or August was what he did was he bought 25 million dollars worth of this Eden currency. Uh, he staked it, and then he minted fifteen hundred uh, of the sevens. Seven, uh, the sevens was a really hype drop. It had a two ETH, two point five ETH, like floor price, really high. Yeah, and it only cost point two to mint, whatever. Yeah, yeah. He minted fifteen hundred of those, right? So that really set off a conversation of, hey, you know, we need barriers to prevent this type of botting, to prevent this type of of volume, where one player is able to, because they're so big and so resourced, uh, they get, you know, they get to beat out the rest. Um, so yeah, I think whitelist grinding is a guardrail. I, you know, I, I think they're just guardrails put in place so that that shit doesn't happen. Maybe one per wallet is another guardrail. You know, there's a handful. I think whitelist grinding is necessary. Okay. Fair enough. And do you think that, uh, in the future we'll see marketplaces show up and kind of further this, you know, mechanism of buying and selling whitelists as well just like nfts in the beginning yeah i mean there are a couple right that do that already logics metro uh metropolis uh, what am i thinking metroverse does it metropolis uh the logics does it um i know uh ramo i don't even want to hype ram up because i whatever but you know I, there are certain projects that that do uh sell and serve whitelist and i think whitelist as a currency um absolutely exists in metaverse hq we've helped over 200 projects go to market and that usually every single acceleration activation comes with uh allocation for metaverse hq 10 percent of which goes to our members i'm sorry 80 percent of which goes to our members 10 percent goes to whales and then 10 percent goes to mvhq the staff and we've been using those whitelists to scale our team up um, because they're our currency, right? They 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 just absolutely are. Right. Fair. Let's move on to a different topic of like how VCs see the NFT space. I'm not sure how acquainted you are with that. Well, I'm sure you, you have some form of understanding. And my question is like, 
do you think VCs are going to partake more in acquiring blue chip NFTs, but let's say the apes or something, and then further maybe fractionalizing it for the public so that people don't actually need to invest in one whole one? Or how do you think VCs are going to play this game if they will at all? Yeah, I mean, VCs, they invest in companies for equity or, or token round. Like they're not going to purchase uh, NFTs and then like fractionalize them, right? Like I just don't, I think it's more of like a DAO, right? A DAO might have that model. Um, funds, VCs, you know, uh, like LPs, they don't do that. Um, what we have seen and my exposure into the VC realm of things, right? So after becoming, you know, one of the top traders in the space, um, it became very apparent to me that investing in the technology was a lot more advantageous. And if you can get the deal flow, right, uh, then, yeah, you should absolutely be investing. That's a different game to play where you're investing in a platform, you're investing in a team, and you're giving money for, um, you know, a safe, right? So um, equity or even like for a token round where you don't necessarily like NFT traders don't have that kind of exposure, especially if you're web three native and you like, you only trade NFTs, you're not, you, you did not have exposure to how investments were made during the ICO days. Right. And so that could be a little bit scary. I get that, but VCs in general, I think they made a real, a lot of them made a really big mistake. I mean, unfortunately you look at everyone that got smoked by SBF and FTX, right? A lot of those big VCs did no due diligence. I mean, uh, Sequoia, yeah. uh, notoriously closed around, um, or, um, they, you know, SBF closed them while he's playing league of legends and Sequoia, like, you know, mentioned that on their website as if it was something to brag about embarrassing as fuck. Um, very embarrassing. Uh, if you're a VC and you're not doing due diligence, what are you doing? Um, our job at Metaverse HQ, especially at, uh, where we are right now, is to get a real feel of an early stage consumer product and, and hey, is this something worth investing in? Blur is a great example. Blur is one of our biggest investments that we made. Um, I think combined as an organization and um, within our member base, everyone from MVHQ, we invested a million dollars into the token round of Blur. And, um, and that is where the real cooks are, right? Because again, early stage product, pre-market, we knew Blur would be a cook. We knew that the founders were incredible. Um, you know, we had worked with them quite diligently. We did our due diligence, um, over a span of months. We onboarded our community. Metaverse HQ members were the first to have access to Blur back in June, um, early July. And, uh, and we were offered token allocation, uh, because of that, right? So that kind of, um, there's a, there's a lot of different value inputs there, right? So imagine the partner, Blur. Um, they come to us. They want to dog feed their product. They're going to market. They want their product to make, you know, to have real consumer appeal, to have real, like, uh, user acquisition, to have a core user base, you know, right before they launch. And, you know, they want to be um, well-networked and um, maybe even have some technology partners lined up to help drive liquidity to their marketplace and to their aggregator. Uh, that's where we come in, right? Because we have all that. We have the user base, right? That's our community. We have the network. That's all of our activations. We we have the exposure. That's our content. We have the technical partners as well. And what's the value input for our community? Well, guess what? If they participate in dog feeding and really helping establish the product of Blur, uh, you know, they get early exclusive access to Blur. Uh, we get uh, a private uh, airdrop of Blur tokens. 
um, as well if you're an active participator, right, uh, part of the private beta. And guess what? If you're a top 200 contributor to giving feedback, Blur will give you their own, like a 10K allocation um, for their token that's going to be substantiated in January, right? So uh, I checked all the boxes in terms of value inputs for us, and that made sense. Um, and I wouldn't even consider, like, you could say that, yeah, we fit the role of a VC where we really do help, um, not just from a financial standpoint, but just assisting any way that we can. I would say we're more of, you know, an activator, if you will, uh, maybe more of an accelerator, but at the end of the day, that's where we come in. And I can only speak on how the real consumer user experiences are a lot of VCs in the space. I won't name names, uh, their model is quite different, right? They want to make 10, 20 investments and hopefully two of them are home runs. Hopefully they, they hit a handful of home runs, the rest can go to zero. Uh, they'll gladly write it off. Uh, we don't take that approach, A, because we don't have the liquid. <laughs> um, we're all we're completely self-funded. Uh, and B, uh, we don't take that approach because it just doesn't fit our model. Uh, we like to really feel what a product, uh, what, we, once we feel the product, we know if it's good or not. And um, a lot of VCs in the space uh, are now regretting uh, like just hopping into GameFi, making investments in different play to earn game projects that haven't panned out. Uh, a lot of the bigger VCs that, um, you know, they just, they, they had no context. And this is sort of where we come in. We talk with a lot of these partners. A lot of them are friends, right? This is where we come in. They ask us for help because guess what? We are the consumers, right? We're not just the investors. We also are the consumers. We are the engaged boots on the ground in web three. And, um, and we just make, we're, we're, re we're known for making really good investments. So we help our VC friends in identifying and helping potentially activate some of their, their portfolio companies, um, helping their founders, helping the product establish a real product market fit with how consumers would actually use the product. Um, or we just tell them what, what bad investments look like. And 95% of, uh, and it, T collections are bad investments. Well, guess what? So are the products, the platforms, and tools that VCs are investing in. As far as investing in IP, I don't see it. Uh, I would never make a play for that. Fair. Why do you think uh, those VCs do throw around money like that or just gambling in some sense? Because they don't want to do the due diligence or because they have lack of knowledge and they have just enough funds to kind of scatter around and mm. hope for it? Yep. Because, yeah, I think it's more the last one, right? Um, they lack context into how the space actually is. They have enough ETH to buy a board ape or an Azuki or whatever and like don that as their PFP. Oh, guess what? I'm a VC now um, in the space in Web3. And um, but they just still lack the context. Like Metaverse HQ, uh, real traders day in, day out. The best, the best part about being a trader, the where the real power comes from is not the investments that we make, but the investments that we see, right? We we essentially, if you consider an NFT collection uh, that's minting, like an IPO, right? You have early access to get in on this project. That's deal flow. We see all types of deal flow. We've seen every use case under the fucking sun. We're here day in, day out. So we know what a good project looks like, what a good platform looks like, feels like. We know what a good tool will do. Uh, we know what we want out of these uh, different collections, out of these different solutions, protocols, DAOs, what have you. Uh, and we just have that vantage point because we're so in the trenches and a lot of our friends of VCs, you know, they're, they just have X amount of liquid that they need to spend and they're going through like 
you know, they, they have tons of deal flow that may look good, um, but maybe they just don't know what it really feels like, right? What a real good cook feels like because they just don't have the consumer context that we do. And that's what made us, that's what's made us really dangerous is because we're not just investors. We're also the consumers and we yeah. have a grounded approach to how products and collections should feel. Yeah. And I think what I make out of what you're saying, not only for this space, but in business in general, that if you as a consumer is building a product that is not only going to benefit everyone else, but yourself, you'll probably ride a longer wave than somebody who has the capital, but no knowledge in a nutshell. Yeah. Luckily we just happen to have both, right? Well, we just have to over time, right? It's not something yeah. that comes out of the blue. Yeah, exactly. And that's not just capital, right? That's also context. We've just been in the space long enough context, to know. knowledge. Yeah, it's all yeah. acquired. And then resources. Yeah, yeah, which is built up. Exactly. Um, and you've touched upon Blur. And I'm not too um, knowledgeable, knowledgeable about Blur myself. But if you can give a little insight, not to shill it too much, but how does it outperform? What, what advantages does it have over, let's say, other marketplaces you can touch upon? In a nutshell, yeah, it, I think what they did really well is they have a, you know, really uh, they they focused on speed. They focused um, on an audience of pro traders right away, so they knew who their audience was. Um, they have some of the best aggregated tools, all free. They're competitive from a marketplace standpoint. Zero percent trading fee in marketplace, whereas like OpenSea is two point five percent. You know, so Y two looks where they have percentages too. An optional creator fee as well. So you have to pay that overhead. And um, and they're also an aggregator, right? So you can you can buy, purchase, sell, trade from um within other marketplaces through their marketplace. Uh and look at their, you know, they sort of that's their unique selling point is that they are an NFT marketplace and an aggregator. If you look at their competition on the aggregator front, you see genies and gem that's it right magic eden built an aggregator too but um again gem and genie are, are sort of um more closely aligned because you know gem is open by is uh got acquired by OpenSea for like i think you know nine figure deal privately and genie got acquired by uniswap for 100 million 150 million publicly right so you look at something like blur and you say to yourself oh wow this is like you know got a lot of upside um and there's a token, right? So that's quite novel for an NFT marketplace. Only XCY2 looks rare. And, um, you know, all the competitive NFT marketplaces have tokens and Blur uh, will be one of them. And on the first day of launching publicly, Blur became the number one a NFT aggregator. And like within the first seven to like, you know, first week, uh, second week, it was it was beating OpenSea in volume, in Ethereum volume. So I don't need to show my own bag. Everyone already knows what the fuck Blur is and like that is what it is. Um, and their token comes in January where again, token back platforms are really interesting because tokens, what what, what they allow and enable is uh, you can build features. You, you can drive user engagement with tokens. You could say, hey, we want users to do this to, to access this feature or use this or list more. Uh, you could drive user engagement um, with uh, incentivized through a token um, the token is simply supplementary, I think, and this is what we focus on really heavily with Blur is let's just focus on user engagement, creating a platform that users aren't incentivized to use financially um, or directly through a token, but more so they're incentivized because it's just a really competitive platform compared to all the other, um, you know, comps yeah. in the space. And that's what we did. And, you know, again, I'm not showing my bag. 
everyone else shows it for me. Uh, all the influencers on Twitter that that didn't know, uh, that had never even heard of it a month prior, uh, we were the first onboarded, and they show our bags for me, so I'm good. Well, congratulations on that. What can I say? That's a, I think that's quite a statement right here. But do you think that OpenSea actually squandered their first mover advantage by not integrating all the things that were lacking? Why, why do you think they kind of, in a sense, messed it up? You're asking the hard-hitting questions, brother. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll say this right now. OpenSea has some really competent individuals working for them. Uh, we are constantly, we, we have a monthly with their head of partnerships. His name is Will. He's incredible. He's really innovative. Um, and yeah, again, I, I think their first mover advantage, they were able to retain talent like him. Yeah. That being said, I think OpenSea's approach is much different, right? Like they haven't budged on the 2.5% royalty fee. They are, um, they're really trying to, to be a authoritative protector for creators and artists in the space. I think that's really needed, right? I think when you look at marketplaces, trying to just find the bottom line for pro traders and minimize our, um, you know, to minimize our sort of downside or or like the delta, um, you know, it's going to be a race to zero. And OpenSea, they're providing, they're really focused on providing value for creators uh, and not so much incentivizing pro traders, right? Uh, because they have first mover advantage, naturally everyone's, already inclined to go to them so they don't yeah. really need to incentivize pro traders they already have like a, a really um wide uh diverse user base um and yeah i i don't think they're i honestly don't think they're lacking innovation i think that uh they are starting to understand where they fit in in the ecosystem after being the first ones to come in and really be a full force for us and are they going to break a couple eggs? Are they going to piss people off? And, you know, um, yes, of course. Right. But that's everyone. That's every marketplace doing, doing anything ever. And you're never going to, um, you're never going to please everyone. And what I yeah. really appreciate about OpenSea is like, you know, they know where they stand and um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. And this kind of leads into the next topic about building and building a, yeah, ecosphere community let's say nft communities i know you talk to a lot of builders of course you're in a, at the head of everything how do you think building evolved from a year ago or two of um, nft communities what, what change what changes and what challenges do builders face now in comparison to prior oh that's such a good question i mean before when there's a lot of liquid right there's a lot more people in the ecosystem uh, it was really easy to finance your project, to finance your your what you want to build, the team that you want to retain um, through an NFT launch. And so you saw World of Women, you saw like these really massive IP come in uh, or like establish themselves as like name brand IP and Web3 through uh, a primary sale of NFTs that was able to fund the entire thing. They didn't need um, a seed round or a series a from a 16 or paradigm, uh, or any other VC, they didn't need any of that. Right. And so, um, they could just self-finance themselves. But I think what happened was, you know, we saw a lot of founders who maybe weren't ready, um, for, for, for being financed that way and, um, did a lot of malicious shit when they finally had the money. Cause they realized they, they didn't have any shareholder or they weren't in bed with anyone else. Like, Oh wow. I could just rug and just run away with 10 mil like yeah. being a builder today is so tough because 
back then you could have had that avenue of of raising this way and really be building something meaningful. Um, and I can point to a lot of like Ninja Alerts is probably one of the best examples. Ninja Alerts built by Trevor.btc. Uh, he's a GP at uh, the Stacks Accelerator, um, as well as the CEO of Ninja Alerts. He raised uh, a token sale that basically financed the entire build out of his product and his product is really good. Um, can you do that today? I'd argue it's very difficult to do that, right? Only, only a handful will be able to do that. But now you not only need to be a builder, you need to be a really good marketer, you need to be a really, really good whatever, because you're now vying for the attention of, of very few individuals where um, you could have just cast a wide net and gathered as many as possible. Um, so I think builders, uh, it's a little bit disadvantageous to be in this situation. So you just have to understand the meta and what, what the current meta is. And I'll tell you more flatly, right? So now we we have the problem. Here's the solution. Build a product uh, that is focused on uh, acquisitioning users. Easy as that, right? Don't focus on um, applying a paywall like a subscription. Uh, don't launch an NFT that will gate access because that diminishes user acquisition. You want as many people using your platform as possible very early. And then you go and see that with a VC, um, you know, or get some private investors or put a fund together, whatever the case might be, that's the way to do it. Now it's more of a traditional model where you're, you're sort of giving up equity. But again, what do you get in exchange? You get partners that are really on your side. Hopefully, if you choose the right VCs, if you choose the right investors, um, they're incentivized to help you win, right? Where a lot of people that may have like bought your NFT and minted, they're incentivized to some degree until they sell their NFT, right? Investors are with you for the entire vesting schedule. Yeah. Uh, they're they're with you until you IPO or exit uh, or like go to zero, right? So I'd argue, you know, now you, you we have more of a traditional route for builders and that could be good and a bad thing. And um, in terms of NFTs, you know, we've seen all sorts of utilities or should I say vaporware utilities because at the end of the day, most of them are quite, useless to some regard because it was hype and it was uh, easily bought and sold. But what are some utilities now that, you know, you could say, yo, this is an NFT that actually grounds some utility for users, not just as a marketing stunt. I mean, yeah, I, I would argue, like, if you look at all the NFTs that have released, sold out their collections over the past year, right? How many of them have retained their floor price, have retained engagement with their community? Uh, 1%, right? The Metaverse HQ, we are the 1%. Um, other alpha communities, other groups, 1%. The the established IP name brands, 1%, right? The World of Women's, the Bored Apes, the Cool Cats, the Doodles of the world, the Azukis of the world, they are the 1%. 99% uh, do not know how to retain engagement, user engagement. And so when it comes to utility, what are the utilities that those... Um, communities ips provide right if it comes to ip maybe like the pfp still holds up people still want they they feel so close with their pfp with their avatar with their nft it represents them like mine represents me in some way where i i'm actually um, incentivized to hold and continue to participate in the community i love doing all that stuff right so the utility might just be hey you, your art looked fantastic and it represents me and I fell away and it struck me and I never want to sell this thing, right? That's one avenue. And again, that's like a fucking moonshot, right? More often than not, you're not going to get that. If you look yeah. at 
like look at fan anything that's super super hype that everyone wants to get into today um there's going to be most often than not a new thing tomorrow we saw that with phantom network we saw that with pxn hell we saw that with literally 99 percent of the projects in the space um with a community like ours what's the value that we provide our members well you know we might provide our members opportunities that guess what a lot of these um, really big, grandiose 10K, 20K PFP collections can't provide their members because they're not as um, focused and targeted towards an exclusive group. So yeah. a small supply, what we tend to find is you get to maximize the value into a small group of users, right? A small group of engaged members. And there's a lot of value like investment opportunities, early access to exclusive um like partnerships, tools, platforms, like blurs are probably pro the best example ever. Um, we still have yet to, uh, the ball has still yet to drop on blur. We don't know how much that opportunity really was worth for our community, but we just know it's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that might be the type of utility that someone's looking for. Maybe you're just looking for a place where you could be sort of uh, creative. You can network and find your, your founding team, find other developers, shoot the shit. Um, that's where a lot of these low key groups come into play here. But traditionally speaking, like utility still has to evolve. Like I, I'm, I'm taking shots right now. Fly fishing club is probably the best example. Um, Gary V hyped it up last year. Hey, we're building a restaurant. You own this NFT, you own access. You get a table at this restaurant all the time. You can rent it out. All this great use cases. Uh, where is it? Right. As it flushed out. Um, uh, I, I haven't been in that restaurant. I haven't heard of anything of that. Um, so there are like use cases that seemed appealing, right? The utilities seemed appealing, right? Like yeah. real world use cases, you get to have an experience in the real world. Um, but a lot of them have just fallen short. So what we tend to find is, you know, the utility that is metaverse focused, that, uh, is internet online focused tends to be, um, just the ones that are, are the most resound. I think this all comes with the space maturing more and more. So it kind of makes sense mm -hmm. to go from the hypes to the mature stages of the kind of sphere. But then as, as we mature, the barrier to entry also kind of goes up and, you know, the community building gets harder and harder. So again, you know, you're then competing against the guys who took the earlier path and were the early onboarders. So you're again stuck in this loop of like, am I going to get a partnership with a VC that's going to back me? Or am I going to be in despair and not going to make it? So it becomes a tougher game. Yeah, much. Uh, it, it does. It really does. You just have mm -hmm. to have good product market fit. End of the day, if you're a founder, if you're a builder, just work with work with people that you're looking to serve. Easy as that. That's a good statement. Do you think, and I think one of the last topics I want to touch up is if we do see regulations in this space or more stricter regulations, do you think NFTs will be um touched by those regulations or what kind of regulations would we see if anything what comes absolutely to mind? absolutely um the government can make the case that every nft is a security right what happens when that happens um not good it's not gonna be good uh there there's so much gray area here there's there's so much that hasn't been established that uh, it could go either way we work with some really great uh, lawyers. We have a lot of great lawyers and they are constantly advising us on how to approach the future. At the end of the day, how it would affect Metaverse HQ, honestly, not so much. If we had to move migrate away from an NFT itself as the form of membership, we can. That's easy to do. Subscription models have been around for quite some time. Yeah. Um, you know, 
the value for us, again, is making sure that we are um, educating our members, incubating the best talent and providing them the best opportunities that we can. Uh, that will never change, right? But like for a lot of these collections, like look at Board Apes, right? The SEC is investigating ape token, right? What happens when, you know, you could stake your ape from our ape token? Does that make, does that like blatantly make a Board Ape NFT a fucking security, right? Um, I'd argue, I'd argue if they already see every nft as a security you're not giving them uh you know you're not giving them much room wiggle room when uh, you enable that sort of um mechanism not to not to bag on board apes at all or yuga i'm just saying like this is just how the government is we don't know where we stand and i think that's the whole problem with sbf and ftx is that we just don't know where we stand it's a total gray area no, I think to some degree, maybe NFTs are not going to be touched just yet, just simply because there's no regulations or very little regulations on, you know, shitcoin trading in itself. So maybe that's something to look out in the future, not necessarily now, because, you know, the SEC still has to crack down so many shitcoin traders and all that stuff before, you know, getting into NFTs. <laughs> You're saying there's so much more fucked up people. This, that uh, we'll, to, we'll be we're last on the queue yeah, to some regard right i think nfts <laughs> are kind of like the later inventions in comparison to all the things since seos that you know yeah. maybe one of the last doors that has to be knocked on before uh you know getting here god i hope you're right i sure <laughs> hope so <laughs> listen mish i enjoyed this conversation i think we touched up on a couple of very interesting topics and you know, you gave quite great insights and I'm very happy that you were here. I mean, if you have any final words or any last kind of thoughts, you know, I'll be happy to hear them out. Yeah, man. Uh, really appreciate you having me. I think, I think with all of what's happening right now, right, the zeitgeist of crypto, DeFi, NFTs, Web3, there's a lot of uncertainty more than there has been. And honestly, we're used to uncertainty, but this level of uncertainty is insanity. Um Take a deep breath. Find people that you can lean on, that you can trust, that you can participate in the space with. Hopefully you're doing it in a really positive manner, one that benefits and innovates the space forward. If you don't have any intention to do that, please just step away, take a breather. Um, you know, There's a lot of real people in the space like you and I that are that are really here to build and innovate and, and and be a part of this like really beautiful blossoming of, uh, of technology that has not yet been adopted mainstream. And it's our job to make sure that it's done responsibly, safely, and, um, and, and in a fun and creative way. I'd love for you to, to be a part of that. If you want to learn more about, you know, what we do on our end, feel free to visit us, MetaverseHQ, MBHQ.io. Um, we're also producing a lot of content on Twitter uh, we serve 1,300 unique members uh, that hold our NFT, but you know we're here uh, to be an establishment for everyone in Web3. And um, you know, if you're feeling down, you're feeling upset, don't worry, you're not alone. We've been through this. Uh, what I really find resilient about OG uh, people in crypto is that they've been through crypto winter, right? They knew what the bottom felt like, and they stayed, and they continued to build. And guess what? Now they're they're champions. Now they are the heroes. And that's the way that I see everyone that's in the space now. If you're here, you're truly here to build. You're truly here to be a part of um, something new and volatile and uh, and and contribute to this experience, the shared collective experience. Um, and that's amazing. I think it's going to pay off really big for us. But if you can't handle the heat, stay out of the kitchen. 
um, you know, there are other things to do outside of just uh, staring at and, and trading and uh, talking with internet friends uh, and doing all this, um, you know, go touch some grass, maybe. Mitch, thank you very much for your wise words and uh, knowledge that you dropped here. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I'll link you guys down in the description as well. Check Metaverse HQ out. Definitely big shout out to them. You guys are legends. Keep building what you are building. And I uh, wish you the best in the future. Thank you, brother. Much love. Um, yes. Me too, man. Uh, thank you for having guys. me again. Yes. Stay tuned for more, guys. Thank you.